In today's episode, we're going to hear Nadia's story on what it was like growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. All right. Today, I am joined by a special guest who spent much of her childhood in the organization and also experienced some unfortunate but also far too common circumstances that young girls face as Jehovah's Witnesses. Nadia is here to share her story on what it was like as a Jehovah's Witness and why she ended up turning to Christ and leaving the organization. So, Nadia, thank you for joining me tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. So, why don't you start on how you got started in the JWs? If you were born in, decided to to join, it was your whole family. How did that happen? Yes, I was actually born into a Jehovah Witness family. So once I was born, um, my I have my parents and my three older brothers were all already um, practicing Jehovah Witnesses. So they were okay, all practicing JWs. And how involved did you get into the organization? Would you say? I'm pretty involved uh, because it is such a um, isolated community and it's it's basically the way of life. At least that's how I experienced it. Um, that was that was my life. Everything about the organization, their structure, their rules, um, day-to-day life, interactions, school, uh, everything was all about the organization and what they had established as to the way that you had to live life. And I, um, and then I did become, uh, I did get baptized um, when I was pretty young also. About what, about what age would you say you're baptized? Usually five or six when they're start, starting to get baptized? Well, it, they do still leave it up to the individual and even a child. So if a child uh, begins to, to speak about having a desire to be baptized um, at, at any age, really, they will, mm-hmm. they will accept that. Um, but there are, um, there are rules about getting baptized. They actually have a book. Um, I don't recall the name of the book, um, but it's full of questions and you have to study the book and be able to answer every question according to their version of the scriptures. Um, and in essence, you're passing a test if you will. Um, and if you, if you do pass that test by demonstrating that you understand the rules of the organization, you understand the way of the organization and you believe what they teach to be truth. And the elders feel like it is, um, you know, like legitimate and in, and you're where you need to be as a Jehovah witness and they will allow you to be baptized. So for myself, I believe I did that around, I think I was at about 11 years old when I got baptized. And do you think that everything changed at, as you, at, after you got baptized? Cause a lot of people say, you know, there was no pressure as a JW before they were baptized, but after they get baptized, like everything changes, there's pressure, all these uh, expectations to meet. What would you say it's something like that? Absolutely. And that's so interesting because as you know, I was trying to recall um, everything and that process is right after I got baptized, the one thing that I can say was most distinctive um, still in my mind 
is the pressure. And my thought was the pressure to perform. Um, and you know, you, even, even at age 11, I, I was expected and it was required that I meet a certain standard, a certain criteria of how many hours I spent, um, preaching. Um, and you know, and it's, it's not just a matter of you, you know, doing it on your own. It's, you have to turn in a, a service record. Like there's a report that you do every month and you're required to document your hours. You're required to document, uh, how much literature you give out to people. Um, and I really wanted to be committed, but what I found is that what I wanted was praise for my performance. I wanted um, to do right by the elders. So when I think back at everything I did, I don't know that I was doing anything for God or that I even truly understood or felt um, a connection to God that I was serving God. I was really serving the elders and everything I was doing for the elders. So, um, and it was really challenging because I started to lie, uh, you know, for me, I thought it would be, uh, easier and better for me to deal with and cope with that pressure is if I lied on those, you know, service, um, those service reports and I would lie and I just make up hours, you know, that they were the standard that I was, that was required of me. I'd write those hours down. I'd, you know, say, okay, maybe I'll put down, you know, five watchtowers, you know, six awake and, you know, whatever I could just kind of think of every month just to try to alleviate some of that pressure. Because if I could at least convince them that I was doing it, then, you know, I I would be, I would be okay. I would be right in their eyes. You know, I hear a lot of stories like that. People, uh, when it comes to service time, whether it's, you know, putting in uh, more hours than you actually did or, I see a lot of JWs standing or just walking very slowly to, to every single door. So they're out there for the amount of uh, time, but they're not going to very many doors, for example. Um, so I think in one way or another, most JWs, uh, you know, are kind of uh, tweaking the numbers a little bit in one way or another. I, I am curious when it comes to when you were a child, do you have any idea if the standard was the same for you as it was like for your mom, for example, or you have can't quite remember? Oh, no, it was. So what it is, they have, um, they have two different levels once you're baptized. Um, and I also attended in Spanish. So some of the terms, I'm not sure if I'm translating them um, correctly to the English, so I'll do my best. But um, if you were baptized and you, and then you're preaching, then you, you start counting those hours. So you were considered like a regular, I think it was like the regular, um, was the lower bar, like the lower hours. I think it was maybe 30 hours a month. And then the next level above, which you felt the pressure to perform above, like the basic, um, was maybe about 60 hours a month. And so it didn't matter whether you were a child or an adult. It was, if you were baptized, you were supposed to be performing like this. Sure. Okay, so you're baptized now. You're going door to door. You're doing the whole JW thing as a um, as a young kid now. So, how did things? Uh, how are things going? You'd say a year later was everything normal? Did things uh, start getting out of hand at the organization when everything changed after getting baptized? Well, I think for me, things things got hard earlier. So things got hard for me when I was younger, but it wasn't until I was about. 
11. It's interesting um, because it was shortly after I got baptized. Not only did I feel the pressure, but it was almost like I had an awareness of things and I was being able to really process things that I had not yet processed before. Um, So I had a lot of uh, negative experiences when I was younger and in my home. So there was this constant, um, this disconnect between we would show up to the kingdom hall and we had to present ourselves in a certain way. And my mom was what I would call like an extremist with this, you know, with this organization and her belief systems and, and how she expected us to, to behave and act. Um, so all the while we would do that and we had the constant, um, community with other JWs. It was the only community we had, but yet we would go home and my home life was very dysfunctional. And there were a lot of things happening in my home life, um, that were uh, very difficult for me as a child. And so it was just a very um, exhausting cycle of being this great Jehovah Witness and performing and then coming home to so much dysfunction. And then even with the organization, in essence, in essence, experiencing a level of abuse um, or different types of abuse within the organization as a small child. Mm-hmm. So after getting baptized, really what changed for me is, was my awareness, was my ability to kind of piece those things together and then say like, wait, hold on. None of this makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And when it comes to things starting to not make sense, was it more at home with how, you know, you're around, um, you know, your family who are Jehovah's Witnesses, or is it maybe the elders where, it things didn't seem right. Um, cause I know you're saying when it comes, things were going on during your childhood, um, was it really your dysfunctional life at home where you're kind of having doubts about the organization or was it more anything else? It was both because, um, at age nine, I was sexually abused by a member of the organization, uh, who was not a family member or a member of my household. And so I experienced uh, the entire process of how how the elders handle uh, in their eyes um, when any uh, sin or crime is committed. Um, and it left a lasting imprint on me. Yeah. And so, with, with, yeah. And, and would you mind unpacking for all the non-JW listeners, what, one, why is it so common for this to happen in the Watchtower organization? And what exactly is their behind the door process where they're, they're basically doing their whole uh, police, police report themselves, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the commonality has to be the, or, or the reason why it's so common now I can say that it really has to be the isolation. Um, you, you are in essence completely isolated from the world. Every, every, um, every, every system that uh, most people are used to, um, you know, that they live within the system, you know, the school system, um, any public safety, you know, extracurricular all of that, like you're isolated from that. You're not permitted to be a part of that. So you have no community outside of the organization. So there, there's really no, 
no, no um, one to turn to. Exactly. No one to turn to, no oversight, no one to reach out to. And there's so much fear put into you um, regarding doing that. It is absolutely forbidden. You are not allowed to do that in any way, shape or form for any reason. Um, so in my experience, what, what I experienced is that um, when I was abused, I immediately reported it. I actually reported it uh, two seconds after it happened. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We were all gathered together um, at one of the very few and rare celebrations that Jehovah Witness participated in. And it was actually an anniversary party um, for um, an elder and his wife. And um, and so it occurred at the home that we were in. And as soon as I found a safe person, as soon as I got away, I found someone I believe was safe. I immediately told her. Um, and then, you know, the elders were all called. They all gathered together. Um, and so really their process is they did their own investigation. Um, and unfortunate for me, that meant they put me in a room with my abuser um, and they made me retell everything uh, to him, uh, to, to with him being present, um, retell it to the elders, retell it to um, his mom and his sisters were there. Uh, they called my mom to come because she had already left the party. Um, and so they have me disclosing my abuse repeatedly because he refuses to believe it. So in essence, I mean, I'm sorry, he refuses to admit it. And so in essence, until he admitted it, they were not moving forward. It was like a, he said, she said, a nine-year-old versus he might've been an older teenager or maybe young twenties. I'm not really sure um, his age. Um, and so I had to go through that over and over again until um, he finally acknowledged what he did. And then at that point, I was no longer a part of the process on how they dealt with him. Um, but what I became aware of is that what they did is then, you know, they talked to him. Um, and then as, as elders, they decided how severe his sin was. Um, and so then depending on how, how severe they believed his sin was, that's then when they would give him a punishment according to his sin. So there are two levels of, of um, punishment that you can receive um, as a JW. Um, the first one is basically like, um, like a censorship, like you lose privileges and what the organization views as privileges is participating in the interactive meetings um, and going out preaching door to door. So you would, you'd be removed of your privileges, but if your sin was found to be even, you know, a more egregious, um, then you would be disfellowshipped and being disfellowshipped is being shunned um, from everybody in the organization, including, including your own, um, you know, natural family. So the family in the household you live in, you are shunned from that family as well. Um, but you do have to show up to the meetings anyway, because you showing up to the meetings shows that you are repentant over your sin. Um, so for this particular sin, they deemed it not um, as egregious as others. And so this uh, person um, was just, just lost his privileges temporarily um, for what occurred with me. So, so that's how they handled it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when you're saying you're explaining everything in front of all of them, I'm thinking, you know, why do they need him to admit it? Why would a nine-year-old lie about that, for example? So a nine-year-old's lying about being sexually assaulted and and talking about this in front of everybody, and they really need him to finally admit it. It's almost like you were the one getting punished by retelling it and living that for a long time. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it, it's very hard. It's very hard um, as a victim of any abuse, you know, at any age, but in particular, a child, a child who mm-hmm. really, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. Um, I knew something was wrong, um, you know, and I was, I was terrified in the moment. Um, but it, that was really challenging. And it's interesting that you say that because, um, I specifically got berated by his, by his sisters and they let them, nobody stopped them. Um, and they started to say that I was making it up and they started to call me names and, um, and they just went really hard on me. Um, and, and it didn't stop until he finally said, yes, that he did what I, what I was reporting. He did. Mm. All right. So after that, this whole thing happened, you know, was it really then where maybe you were uh, physically in the organization and starting to be mentally out or were you still, um, you know, a dedicated JW for a while and going door to door and still all in trying to please the elders at that time? Or is it really this that did it for you? Well, that happened when I was nine, but it wasn't until I got older at about 11 where I started mm-hmm. to question the, all the things that I had already experienced, all the things that I had, that I had, that I had seen. Um, I think maybe it was just maturity. I was getting older. Um, I was seeing how judgmental people were. I was experiencing it. Uh, because I, you know, I was looking different. I was growing up Mm -hmm. and, you know, the women were very critical and very judgmental. And, um, I think my home life just kept deteriorating and it still didn't make any sense how, how much of a disconnect it was based on what life we were supposedly supposed to have. Um, and this situation with the abuse, like really impacted me. And it was, it was something that, um, it just continued to repeat itself because I had, I was exposed to him for many years. I still had to see him in the kingdom hall. Um, and, and so I was very, you know, o- over time, I just was very, um, I finally got upset about it. I think at nine, I didn't have maybe even the capacity or the, the, the cognitive development really. Um, and, and then as I started getting older and I had to see him uh, more often when I was older, that 11, 12, that's when I was like, this, this isn't even right. And I started having thoughts. Like I, I still remember <laughs> just thinking sometimes I would, I'd look around and I'd look at my mom and, and the things that she was asking of me and expecting of me. And I was just like, and you know, not trying to be, you know, rude, but I was like you, and I was already disconnecting myself from the organization and the people, because I would say to myself, you people are crazy. This is crazy. This stuff is crazy. And so mentally I was separating myself already. Like I didn't want to be a part of it anymore because it didn't make sense. And it caused me so much hurt and there was nothing fruitful in my home which made even less sense to me if we supposedly were doing all the things that we were supposed to do. Why did I have such a difficult upbringing and why did I have such a difficult life? Yeah. So when you say it was like unfruitful at home, what was your, was your whole family um, not very dedicated to the organization? Would you, maybe they were verbally, but they didn't try to live it so much. Would you say is that that's why it's not so wasn't so fruitful. Yeah, my dad had um, 
I mean, my dad's been battling alcoholism, I think, since his early 20s. Um, so it was something that he just always battled and 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 fell back into. Um, I think maybe my mom has just a lot of emotional stuff going on from her own, you know, past life that she or, or younger life mm-hmm. that she has not healed from. And, and so it would, it, it manifests, you know, you're, you're broken, you're hurt, you're not healed. It manifests in your home. Um, there was all, there was arguing, you know, there was the drinking, the arguing, the emotional breakdowns, um, affairs happening, um, just so much happening. And the, the, the turning point for me was really because then my family, um, little by little, they all started getting disfellowshipped as well. So my dad was the first one to get disfellowshipped, you know, because he was the one being um, unfaithful. And so he got disfellowshipped first. And then um, one of my brothers got disfellowshipped next, another brother next. Um, and finally, I think the kicker that really I was like, oh, I'm done is when my mom got disfellowshipped as well. Ah, so everybody got disfellowshipped and it's like you were the only one left at a place where you weren't really a fan of to begin with. Yes, absolutely. So did you get disfellowshipped as well eventually? I didn't because I just walked away. I just never went back. Um, I think I was about 12, 12 the last time I went to the Kingdom Hall. Um, and then I went to one more of their really large conferences that they do Mm -hmm. every year. Um, it just so happened to be that the same person that abused me, they had them, they had him there, um, on the platform, you know, talking and sharing about what a great man of God he was. And so between that, yes, Mm -hmm. at a large conference. So between that and um, my mom being the last one to get disfellowshipped, uh, I I was done. And I, I still remember where I was standing in our home <laughs> when I said to her, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with, you know, I'm done with your religion. I'm done with your kingdom hall. I don't ever talk to me about it. Don't ever tell me to go. I'm, I'm never going back. And I never did. I had no contact. I, I completely cut all ties to the organization. So I think I'd be considered um, disassociated because I was baptized, but I mean, I never went, I never went to them. That's another interesting thing about Jehovah witnesses. They, they are required to either self-report or others will report, you know, when they're committing sins or not living a life according to the Jehovah witness rules. Um, but I never did that. I never wanted to, I never had any desire to go back or really to answer to them ever again. So what's life been like, what was life right after you left then? Because, you know, when I, whenever I hear stories that are similar to yours at all, usually I hear people saying that they really struggled with um, the existence of God altogether. They think, you know, if, you know, this things can happen, if this is what religion is like, um, so judgmental, um, you know, maybe there's not a God to begin with. I'm done with religion. Um, and they just think that, you know, either God hates them, God's evil, or God doesn't exist. So. I know you were young at the time, but during your teenage years, did you struggle with any thoughts like that? 
Oh, absolutely. When I told my mom I was done with the Jehovah Witnesses, I internally um, decided for myself that I was done with God. Um, I, I, I would hear of other religions, but very minimal. And just to be told, you can never go, don't ever attend. You can step foot in a church. Um, like there was so much fear put into you that if you ever came near a church or heard anything spoken out of a different religion, like it was just so sinful, so horrible. Um, so it was the, the only God I knew was the God that the organization was serving. And I just thought, you're not a good God. You're not a good God either. You're not a good God. These people are not good. And I don't want to have anything to do with anything at all. And I, I did, I made a vow. You know, I, I, I recognize that now. And, it, and it's sad because I made a vow against a God that I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. I had never had the chance um, to learn at least within my upbringing, you know, who God really was. And so, um, life did not get any easier at all. Um, things got worse in my home life, um, because of layer after layer of what I went through. Um, I in turn became very dysfunctional. I made very poor choices. Um, there was repeat abuse, um, in my life, repeat sexual abuse. Um, I've, you know, gone through domestic violence, um, a lot of, you know, emotional abuse. There's so many things that occurred um, that I really, I can now recognize, I could trace it back and I can see, you know, where things kind of got misrooted. Um, and a lot of it does have to do with the organization. Um, you know, as I learn now, I've, I've done a lot of learning on um, on abuse and, and how to handle it and how people can be healed and, you know, through abuse and, and want to, you know, what, what are the ways to handle that? And when you don't, what does that do to a person? And I struggled and had to live through all that stumbling my way on my own because um, my family, um, they all just kind of, everyone just scattered. My brother's just scattered. They just literally disappeared. One of them, he disappeared for nine years. And um, my dad, once my parents finally divorced, he just kind of kind of disappeared. And (laughs) as I got older, um, my, the relationship with me and my mom just was irreparable. Um, and, um, I was a young mom as well, a very young mom. And I, it just, you know, was one layer after, um, another and that isolation from the community and in the organization, the JW organization, it carried over like my own family. Everyone just kind of self isolated, if you will. And I didn't know how to really function in, in like general society. And I didn't recognize that. It took me a long time to see that, like why I had so many struggles with it. Um, because I just, I had never done it. I just, I didn't know. And when I entered into the rest of the world, if you will, I entered it already with all these dysfunctions and, and legalistic things that, although I did not believe in them and I thought they were wrong, they had left an imprint on me and how I viewed the world and how I functioned or really didn't function well within the world also. So you're a young, you're a young mom. You're going through just everything. Your fa- 
family's dysfunctional, everybody's gone. So was it during that time or much later where, you know, the God of the watchtower is not the God of the universe is when you realize like what, when did that, uh, when did that start to take place? So my first uh, encounter, um, if you will, um, was I was uh, a freshman in high school and one of my, um, one of my good friends at the time, uh, she invited me to church. She invited me to a youth group and it was actually at, um, at Harvest uh, one of the big, you know, pretty big churches. And so I went with her a few times and I can't say that I remember what was taught, but what I can remember is that every time I went, I fell apart. I just would cry. I would sob. Like it was doing something to me. I didn't know what it was doing to me. I didn't know why I I would question it when I would leave. Like, why in the world did I just cry like that? Like, I just don't understand this. Um, So that was the, that was the beginning. It was my, um, my introduction, um, if you will. And, um, but it didn't take, (laughs) she tried, (laughs) she and her family tried her family. Actually, they gave me my first, um, real Bible ever. Um, I still have that. And, um, but it wasn't until, so what freshman, maybe I was 14. So it wasn't until I was in, in my early twenties that then I, um, finally had like an actual breakthrough and, and kind of set me on a path. Um, it was interesting. It was through, um, the person that I was dating at the time, his friends invited him to a showing in the theater, uh, Passion of the Christ. So apparently their church had put together this whole group event and they invited him. And so we were dating. So he invited me um, and I could not keep it together. I I don't know, you know how long the movie went and I was sobbing uncontrollably the movie was over and I was sobbing uncontrollably. I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. <laughs> the girls were very kind to me. One of them um, was very patient and just stood with me until I don't know how long when I could finally speak, but I was just so moved um, by the level of love and compassion that I really had no idea could exist within God. Um, that, that is who God is, um, the level of love that would drive that kind of sacrifice. And, um, that, that was my turning point. And that's when I actually started attending church regularly after that. Hmm. How how long ago would you say that was about any idea? Um, it was probably so it was, eighteen okay, years. Okay, so when yeah, so when it came out, Passion of the Christ. So that mm-hmm. sounds about right, around eighteen years ago, something like that. Yes. Okay. And so that's when you uh, started to go to go to church and got born again. And how's life been like ever since? Well, I'm a. Uh, I think I got a slow start. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I definitely got a good foundation. I got a good foundational knowledge. Um, but I was definitely not healed. Uh, I didn't have a revelation of the level of healing that I needed uh, to undergo. 
And so I still struggled. I struggled with a lot of the same things. I struggled trusting God. Um, that has been, I think, one of the most painful things for me to, to recognize. Um, because I think sometimes, you know, in my, in my weak moments, um, I still worry a little. It's like it wants to creep back up, you know, that, that worry of, not being good enough, even for God. It had just, it was so ingrained in me. Um, and I think that's what, that was probably the hardest thing to overcome because I didn't, I don't have to perform for God, but it was mm-hmm. so ingrained in me as a young child when everything is forming in me. Um, and so I had challenges for a very long time. Um, I would say um, my my breakthrough um, and my start of of true deep healing and and really establishing a relationship with God um, because that took me until I would say maybe 10 years into being saved about 10 years later, maybe anywhere from 10 to 12 years later. Um, before I finally recognized that to a certain extent, I was still viewing God as just this unreachable entity, right? Nothing or no one that I could actually connect with um, in an intimate way and have relationship with in an intimate way and that he longed for me in that way. I didn't have that that revelation. And so I, I just still really struggled until I got to a place that I was at the lowest that I've ever been in my life. Um, you know, I've been through a lot, through a lot of things, but this particular season in my life was uh, the darkest time of my life. And I remember, um, and, and by then I had not, you know, I wasn't going to church regularly. And so, you know, that definitely didn't help my situation, but I just remember, thinking and and crying out like I'm going to die like this and it wasn't a physical death I just felt like I really I really felt my my spirit my you know my inner self um losing all life losing all hope and I just cried out to the Lord and I said you have, you have to get me out of this you know if you are who I've been trying to learn who you are all this time, you have to show up and you have to do it because I can't get myself out of this. I can't, I I haven't been able to, and I'm dying and I can't get out of it. So you have to do it. And you know, he did, he did because that, that is the true God that I still struggled with so much to understand and maybe even to be willing to believe in because, you know, I had trouble trusting, um, and he pulled me out of that. He was so faithful. And that started not only my, not only did it like um, um, accelerate my, my walk and my relationship, but it finally got me to a place where I was able to heal. And I started to walk through this process of healing. Um, and I, and I've been in this process for, for six years now, um, you know, and now, and now, and and I recognize, you know, where where there's always a process and that's okay. Um, but I did a lot, a lot. He and I, you know, he partnered with me because I finally recognized, you know, that that's what he wants to do, that he wanted to be that present and that close in my life. And so, um, there's been a lot, 
of healing done really within the last six years, I want to say is when all that finally started and I was able to have freedom, real freedom. You know, you seem to just describe uh, the difference between salvation when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses and born again Christians, because in the organization, it comes down to exercising faith, the good the good works that you have to do in order to be saved. Because there's a, really, you never know if you've done enough. You always worry if you're going to make it or not. Whereas in Christianity, on the other hand, you know, God does all the work compared to the organization where they have to do all the work and there's really no hope. And, you know, what, when you were talking about getting a slow start earlier, you know, I just hear that from everybody who leaves, leaves, you know, like either they, they're going to college later, like in their forties or fifties, cause they never got that chance. They're, uh, just starting life in this world so much later, you know, but it's great to hear that you're still moving forward with all that and not letting uh, that cripple you for the rest of your life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, Nadia, what if there's a, let's say there's some, a girl that's going to be listening to this here and, you know, she's going through the same thing that you went through, you know, she got sexually abused, but nobody's believing her. Um, you know, and her life is just really rough for her right now. And she doesn't know what to do. What advice would you have for her? Given what I experienced and the way that I know the organization operates to get you to the place of, um, you know, there's a lot of um, mental control. Um, and so given that, I would say first just to um, for her to do, do some research take some time and separate it, you know, not make it emotional, not make it about, you know, Jehovah witness versus Christianity, but take the time to actually learn why was this organization even founded? Like just get some facts, some facts that would really help dismantle. You know, well, I don't know that I would say that part, but it, but I know that it would help dismantle that. You know, when you learn the facts, when you separate yourself and you kind of maybe even do a little bit of emotional separation to it, but just do the facts, you know, just do some research. Um, and just even in doing that, it, that's what a lot of questions are going to come up. There's going to be so much, um, you know, that that you're going to learn and see that doesn't it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up. So that could be a, that's a, a good starting point, but then really ultimately is, you know, the true God, the real God loves you. The real God sees you and the real God longs for you, longs for, longs for relationship, longs for intimacy, longs to show you that you have a place in the kingdom, you have a place in his kingdom, and that it's not about trying to find a place within an organization or a place within a, a system that is built by man, but that there's a place for you in a kingdom, in a kingdom of God, a beautiful place, a kind place. There's a place where you can find actual compassion, where you can learn what it means to be loved and how to love. 
and you know and, and my heart would go out and that was that that would be my my biggest desire you know for for you to learn this that, that's if I could say that to 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 her <laughs> that's what I would say well, thank thank you Nadia. I know I do believe eventually that uh, somebody's going to hear that and will be touched and that's what you know, God uses with testimonies like yours so other people can hear it and hear that there are, uh, there is hope outside the organization. Now, before we end, I, what we do is with my interviews, I do a little fire round. The fire round is you answer between one and 10 seconds. I'm not going to comment on anything. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind, and I'm going to move on right to the next question when you're done. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What was the first book you read on the JWs after you left? How to Witness to Witnesses. What's one thing you wish you knew about the Watchtower before you joined? How they were founded. Most surprising fact you learned about the organization after you joined or got baptized? That they refused blood transfusions. Strangest thing you ever witnessed at your local kingdom hall? The shunning of family members. What was the hardest part about being a Jehovah's Witness? The isolation. If you could say one thing to the governing body, what would it be? I forgive you. I love it. Well, Nadia, thank you so much for your interview. Thank you for just everything you say. I know that a lot of girls who unfortunately continue to go through these things are um, really going to be touched by by your story. Thank you so much for the time and opportunity. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Good News for Jehovah's Witnesses podcast. To learn more about us, you can visit us online at goodnewsforjws.com. That's goodnewsforjws.com.